Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon. This is the message for Sunday, December 23, 2018, titled, With Us. Pastor Marlon Betts uses Matthew 1, 18-25 to present the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. Let's listen. I think Lyman was telling a story before Sunday school began this morning about he was watching a couple boys unwrap a, a big gift and inside was their service member, Father. And uh, it's really kind of neat, you know, and they finally got it unwrapped and there he was, but they, he said in the process of unwrapping him, mean, he thought he was going to kill the guy They're tumbling the, the thing around inside um, with him inside of it. But anyway, I was, I've been looking at these two packages and wondering when somebody's going to come out of them when I get up to preach. And I've uh, been thinking about that. I said, you know, somebody, sooner or later, one of the weirdos in the church is probably hiding in there, and uh, about middle, middle way of a sermon, they're going to go bang, 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 and move from the box and whatever. But uh, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Uh, but just, just the thought has occurred to me all during Advent, and here it is the last Sunday of Advent. So if it's going to happen, guys... Are you hungry or thirsty? They've been in there for four weeks, you know. I'm just, I don't know. Who's been missing? Have we been missing anybody? Because they're probably in there. We're looking at Matthew chapter 1 this morning. And um, haven't you enjoyed the Schaefer family? It's kind of neat just seeing them all up here, the three generations participating in the Advent uh, candles. And you never knew what they were going to do or say. But they uh, did a good job. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's stand together. It's on the screen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man or an upright man, not wanting to make her a public example, thought about putting her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this sharing of Scripture, and pray that you'll help us for a few moments as we reflect on, on Joseph and, and Jesus, Mary, one more time. We love you, and we want to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And when we talk about the Christmas story and when it's read in our homes, we usually turn to Luke chapter 2. And uh, Luke 1 is about Zacharias and Elizabeth and so on. And in chapter 2, we get into the stable and all of that, the manger and a lot of details. And then the shepherds coming. 
and uh, those kind of things. The Luke account is much more detailed, and it comes from Mary's point of view. And uh, we talked about that from Wednesday night. Uh, so we rarely turn to Matthew's Christmas account, except to read about the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, who came after Jesus was born a year or two later. Anyway, so that account we sometimes turn to in, in Matthew. But the verses that we read today are the Christmas story given from the perspective of Joseph. Matthew is more about Joseph and the way things happened to him in this passage, whereas Luke is all about Mary, the Annunciation and her traveling and, and the baby being born and the things that she went through, um, that perspective. So when we look at the perspective of Joseph, how did the pregnancy of Mary affect him? So in the first part of this sermon, I want to focus on Joseph's point of view. Then in the second part, I want to get us some theological implications from this passage from Joseph's point of view. So first, the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. First, you need to throw out all your ideas about modern American marriage. Okay? Because this is nothing like what we think about when we think about marriage, engagement, and all that. Uh, falling in love and getting engaged and the big wedding and the reception and then that honeymoon and all that stuff. You don't hear about a honeymoon in here unless it's a trip to Egypt. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, I, I don't understand all of that, but that this is totally different is what I'm trying to point out. Today, the majority of our wedding focus is on which one? The bride or the groom? You see, it's an unanimous. It's all about the bride. He's up there waiting. She finally makes her appearance. He can't see her all morning long. Then she finally makes her, and, and they have been working on that gal for three hours. And if you, she can't get any prettier than what she was that day. Because she's got the stuff that thick all over her. And uh, whatever. I mean, they have, and her hair has never been, and, and her nails, and her, oh my. It is all about the bride, right? And she finally makes her appearance, and everybody stands up, and they turn. <gasps> and the guy faints. So we know. That's the way it is in America. Well, back then, the focus was almost entirely on the groom. I'm just telling you, it turns everything we've got upside down. He was the prize because she was kind of purchased by him from her parents for bride price. He received the education probably at the local synagogue. He could read, write, do some simple figures and some other things. He got his education. She didn't get an education, didn't ever go to school, but she grew up. Learning how to do household chores. Her sole purpose in life was to have children. That's why barrenness was such a big deal. To take care of those children and to keep house, cook food, etc. for the man. Ancestry. It's interesting. You chase both ancestries, one in Luke and one in Matthew. They go down through the genealogy through men. They don't care about the women. Ancestries through the men. Both of them there, they, they take you to Joseph. And 
The man was the authority in the home. He was to be treated like a master by his wife. It was her sole role to obey him. He could divorce her for almost any reason, but she could never divorce him. It was all about the male. Totally different. The groom and his male friends made up the wedding procession. They went through the streets with their musical instruments, tambourines. They had a celebration. They had a, a march through the town. They had a good time. The husband made the traditional wedding declaration at the wedding. He said, she is my wife. I am her husband from this day forever. That was what he had to learn to say. Now we have to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, richer and poor, better, you know, all this kind of stuff, and both of them do it. Now, back then, he made the declaration. She's my wife. I'm the husband. That's the way it is. All right. So, and then they had a seven-day wedding feast. Can you imagine the wedding reception of our day? It lasts for a couple of hours or whatever. Seven days. Where did they have it? At the groom's house. So all of this stuff is all about the groom. So the bride looked up to her groom in every respect. This is why Jesus used the illustration of the church being the bride looking for the groom in expectation and, and hope. And so we are not whole without our groom. We need him and long to please him, long to bring glory to him while we're waiting for the groom to return. We are the bride. So now you understand kind of that concept. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the groom. Second, we need to understand better the, the Jewish betrothal when we're talking about Joseph's perspective. Most Jewish marriages were prearranged by the parents. So the first part of it is an arrangement. There was no falling in love. It didn't matter if he was handsome or rich or, well, it helped if he was rich. Uh, if she was pretty, it didn't, it didn't matter at all. It wasn't about looks. The men might have some input in, in, as far as, I know in, in Samson one time he told his parents, get me that woman of the Philistines. He, 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 went, he went by looks and wanted them to get him. He had an input, but most of the time, majority of the time, it was all about the parents meeting with some other parents in town and making an arrangement. The man is usually older, and the girl was often very young. In this situation, it is thought that Joseph was around 30, whereas Mary was around 12. Now you think about that, because you look around, we have some 12-year-olds or 13, some junior high kids here today. Now, moms, can you expect them to be married? What would you do? Woo-hoo! To a 30-year-old guy? All right, this whole concept, see, you just have to get away from your idea. Because at that point in time, they had been trained in how to take care of a house. They're ready to go. In any case, uh, Joseph's a real catch because he's a carpenter already with an established business that has been in the community for quite a while. I mean, he's been around for 18 years before she was even born. 
when you think about it, if he's 30 and she's 12. So after the arrangement period was made, and, and the girl now gets up old enough, because the arrangement can be made when the child is real small. So when she gets old enough, and minimum age was 12 for a girl to get married, then they would start what they called a period of betrothal, or betrothal. I don't know how to say that word, because of different ways to say it in different places in the country. It lasted a year. During this betrothal period, the, the girl lived with her parents, and the man come over for visits. So the dating was, he came by the house, the parents sat there, and the girl sat there, and they talked. That was dating. That was betrothal, period. There's none of this, get in your car and go to Lover's Lane and smooch until the, the moon went down or whatever. No, none of that happened. You, stand, you sat there at your house, and he came by to visit. And she probably she cooked him her favorite meals to try to impress him. Yeah, I made the biscuits tonight. Sorry, I burnt the gravy. So they would do this for a year, and... During this period, they're already being called husband and wife, which is interesting because in the, in, the, in the record here, everybody says, well, it already says husband and wife. No, at the betrothal period, they were husband and wife already. They were that committed to each other. In fact, in order for you to separate, once you were betrothed, you had to, he had to write a bill of divorce and hand it to her and her parents. It took a divorce to break this betrothal. During that year, uh, they would hopefully start thinking about love. <laughs> the ranged relationship was not about being in love. But hopefully some feelings of, of this visitating over these years, if he'd come once a week or twice a week, I don't know. I don't know. But hopefully you begin to understand each other a little bit and begin to understand how you talk and, and, and some of the things that you like and don't like and so on. And maybe there would be some feelings develop through that year. But it is quite possible that people actually got married without even feeling in love for their spouse. Hopefully they focused on making the relationship work. There was no sexual relations during the betrothal period. If the girl could not prove she was a virgin on her wedding night, he would instantly bring her back to her parents, and there would be shame. They had to keep evidence, keep the linens from the first night. And then after the year of betrothal, they would get married, finally. The groom and his friends would make a procession, and they would march through the streets, and everybody, what's going on? Oh, that's, that's the procession for a marriage. Yay, let's join. Yeah, it's a party. And they'd follow the crowd, and they would go down, and he would go, stop by her house, and she would be ready for him. And they would go and proceed to his house and have the ceremony, and she would live there and be his wife. Seven-day wedding feast. Remember the parable Jesus gives of the five foolish and five wise virgins? How they were waiting for the groom to come? And some were not totally prepared and got left and did not get to go to the wedding feast? The whole idea there. So now you can begin to understand 
with this background, throwing out everything we know about American weddings and thinking now about a Jewish wedding, that Joseph was concerned that when he found out during this year-long betrothal period that now Mary is expecting a child. And he knows he's not the father. By Jewish law, they gave him two options. Option number one is a girl caught with child outside of wedlock would be carried before the town council. The group would gather together. And then they would take her out to the hillside and stone her to death. Remember the story of Jesus when he caught this woman and they caught in the act of adultery? And they were about to stone him and he really turned things upside down when he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So that was option number one for Joseph. Mary could have been stoned to death. There never would have been Mary in the stable with the baby Jesus and all this story. The second option which he chose is a more private affair where he would take and go and get two witnesses and say, you know what, guys, you're my friends, but I found out Mary is expecting. And I'm really disappointed. I don't know how this occurred. I don't know what happened. I'm not the dad. And so I'd like you guys to witness the fact that I am divorcing her. And I'm going to give this, even though they're not married yet, I'm going to give this divorcement, you witness this, at least, they don't, I don't know that they actually signed it, but they witnessed the fact that he was doing this. And then he would take that to the parents and hand it to them and to Mary, and they then would try to find a way, probably secretly moving Mary out of town, maybe some distant relatives, where she would be until the baby was born. That was his second option. And because he was a just man, an upright man, he chose that second option. He had probably developed some feelings for her and didn't want the big public scene and didn't want her to die, to be stoned to death. So in our scripture, here is Joseph weighing this in his mind, and then he's deciding to do the private thing with just writing her a bill of divorcement. And he's laying there, and his, his whole life is in turmoil. And an angel shows up and gave him the true reality of the situation. Angel more or less tells him, Mary did not cheat on you, but she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Joseph, you're to marry her anyway. And when that son is born, you're to call his name Jesus. And you're to raise Jesus as your own child. And it's a credit to Joseph here that he went along with God's plan. The angel's instructions. This was a remarkable man. Because he spent a couple of years in Bethlehem. A few years in Egypt. And by the time they came back to Nazareth, there were other children as well. In total... Mary and Joseph had six other children, brothers and sisters to Jesus. And that is the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. How he was about to do this, and God said, do this instead. I'm going to come back to that later in this message.
But the more I studied this account from Joseph's perspective, the more I began to notice important truths that Matthew emphasized that affect our theology, which is the second part of the sermon, which is theological implications. How does this apply to us theologically? What does the significance about the birth of Jesus have to do with us today? There's three ideas I want to emphasize. First one is Jesus could not be just like us. He could not be just like us. Now you would expect Luke, writing from the viewpoint of Mary, and that's the, one, the story we usually tell, to emphasize, because it's from Mary's perspective, emphasize the virgin birth, and he does. He emphasizes that a lot. But Matthew, from Joseph's perspective, is even more emphatic. Because Joseph had to be convinced to marry Mary, in spite of the fact that she was already expecting a child. So he had to be convinced so that he would continue with this marriage. And so going back, giving the background information, Matthew writes in verse 18, before they, Mary and Joseph, came together, or, which means having sexual relations, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. He wants there to be no doubt. Then in verse 20, the angel told Joseph, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 23, the prophecy that was quoted by the angel was, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And then Matthew ends in verse 25 with this information that Joseph did not have sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. Matthew is making it very clear from the opening statements to the end statement of this account of Joseph finding out about Jesus that this was a virgin birth. He didn't have relations with her before. He didn't have relations with her after they were married until Jesus was born. And she was to be called a virgin and it would be conception by the Holy Spirit. Very detailed instructions that this was a virgin birth. Now, the virgin birth of Jesus has great theological implications, all of which I cannot go into this morning. I spent a lot of time reading on it. But we know that Jesus pre-existed as God in eternity. In the beginning was the Word, Word was with God. I mean, He was there in the very beginning and in before the beginning, we, we start beginning as when man began and the creation began. But God was there through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before all that. So he's preexisted. And so we know that. His existence, therefore, did not start with his human birth. The Holy Spirit is the agent of helping this process take place, put the Holy Spirit put Jesus' eternal substance, God's eternal substance, the Son of God's eternal substance, into a few human cells and placed them into the womb of Mary, and she became the surrogate mother so that Jesus could be born as a human. There was no sexual encounter in this pregnancy. Mary was a virgin. Jesus was a miracle. 
just like Adam and Eve were miracles by God. Except this was even more important miracle. And then that was the sense that this is not just a human being created by God. This is a human being created by God and God himself being placed in those initial cells. And so that God would be born fully human, fully God. A miracle by God. And you think, well, we could try to explain it all on our own human resources and put it down to our nutshell. But guess what? God is a God of miracles and you can't explain it. Because he's God, he's in a human body, a miracle occurred. She was a virgin. And that had never happened before, nor has it happened since. When God made Adam, he formed him up out of dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. When he made Eve, he took a rib out of Adam's side and said, okay, and created a woman out of the rib. That's what the Bible says. So two miracles, and this is the third miracle of how God made a human, but this time he put God in it and then had her be born, uh, had him be born from a woman. So the point of the virgin birth is that God made sure Jesus could not be just like one of us. Because to be human was to be sinful. Jesus could not be sinful, but he needed to be human in order to show us how to live and how to die, how to resist temptation and how to overcome, and how to be tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. So he had to be human, but he had to be God. So he was not just like us. He was the Son of God, confined somehow into a human body for 33 years, and then that body was killed, and then resurrected, and ascended, and exalted forever. The downward V, the upward V, of Philippians chapter 2, that we've been talking about before Advent began. The humiliation, the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus could not be just like us. Second thing here, theologically, is that Jesus came to be with us. With us. There's a church uh, one time where they were asking, say one word about Jesus that summarizes everything. And different people would say love, holy. Joy, peace, Jesus, all these different words. And finally, one guy from the back waved, I've got it, preacher, I've got it. He said, the one word that sums it all up is Emmanuel. If you do it in one word. Because it says, if you have God with us, you have love, you have peace, you have joy, you have the Messiah, you have Everything else that you could say to describe Jesus, if God is with us. And the angel stated that Jesus would be called, verse 23, he quoted from the Old Testament, Emmanuel, which he says means God with us. Now, the verse was a quote from Isaiah 7, 14. In, in Isaiah's time, there's a prophecy 
good things were going to happen. It was in the time of King Ahaz. And the prophet showed up to give these words to him. And God would show up again and again in the Old Testament and come through for his people. And he would deliver them. And he would help them out. And save them from their enemies. In this case, some alien forces were coming in. And the same God who helped his people back, back then is now going to work for humans through the life of Jesus to deliver us and them. Totally human, Jesus learned all about human life. He learned about relationships, about temptations, about surprises, about blessings, about hurts. Totally God. Jesus did not give in to Satan, to peer pressure, to popularity, to pain. He fulfilled his mission. He fulfilled God's plan of salvation. Totally human, he knows what we feel, but totally God, he said no to Satan. And yes to God, his Father's plan and will and purpose. Not exactly like us, Jesus came to be with us. And I love this because he showed us how to live. He showed us how to die. He showed us truth. He showed us the way. The way to love. The way to live. He became our pattern to follow. Our goal as Christ followers is to be like Jesus was. That's what we all say, I want to be like Jesus. He came to be with us to show us how we can live this. And through the Holy Spirit, the good news is, is Jesus is still with us today. Through the Holy Spirit. Because every Christian has felt the presence of Jesus. His Spirit guides us through life. He is our constant friend. In decisions, we have a guide. In salvation, we have a Savior. In temptation, we have a way of escape. In troubles, we have a helper. In death, we have a comforter. In confusion, we have the truth. Because he is with us today. The God who intervened on behalf of his people in the Old Testament took on human flesh to intervene on our behalf as Jesus. And then since then, he has intervened for us by living in us through his spirit. He is God with us. We couldn't do it without him. But we are making it because of him being with us. So think of the implications. Jesus could not be like us. But Jesus came to be with us. And the third thing, Jesus came to save us. Verse 21, the angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now Jesus is the name Joshua in the Old Testament. We call it Joshua in English. But it was actually in Hebrew, Yeshua. Yeshua. And so in the Greek, we would say Jesus, as we pronounce it, yes. And so or in Spanish, it's Jesus. We have so many different words like this from all different languages. But it is the same word, just translated differently. And so Joshua was a very popular name. But Jesus, because he took the name Yeshua, or Joshua, was given that name, has elevated that name, Jesus, 
to now it is no longer associated with Joshua of the Old Testament and all the things that he did. It is the Jesus who came and lived and died on the cross for bringing us salvation from our sins. And so it is elevated, as Paul says, above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It took Joshua and elevated it. Joshua, Jesus, means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord is salvation, or Savior, if you put it in one word. Now, Jesus brought us God's salvation through his death on the cross. And we all know this truth so very well, but we fail to see the direct connection of Jesus, the Savior, the Lord is our salvation in the Christmas story. But it is here. Jesus was born so that he could die. And he died so that we could be saved from sin and death and hell. And hidden in Matthew's account is a glimpse of salvation through the life of Joseph. You see, Joseph could not have known it at the time. But he was a just man, it says, who did not want Mary publicly stoned to death, but decided to take the other route to put her away secretly by writing a bill of divorcement. And because he made that good choice, that puts him in the center of the salvation story. Joseph didn't have to get involved in Mary's problem. He knew Mary was guilty under the law. Talked about law and grace in science school class this morning. He knew she was condemned to be killed for her supposed sin. Many other men in that town would have let her die and walked away and got somebody else, arranged another marriage. They would have let her die in disgrace. But Joseph chose grace over the law. Law said she deserves to die. He chose grace. In an act of mercy, he went ahead and took Mary as his wife. He chose to take on Mary's shame of premarital pregnancy when he had no, when he did have a way out. Plan A or plan B. And he did neither one of those. He went with what the angel told him to do, plan C, which was to take her as his wife. Now, in the Talmud, a Jewish writing, it says that Mary's pregnancy was because of a Roman soldier. Old Jewish writing. He had to take that shame. But there were the town gossips who said it was him. As he and she, they just couldn't wait that they snuck out somewhere and this was their baby and that's why he's going to marry her. And so he had to bear that. And remember, Joseph's the one in public. Mary's the one back in the house, cleaning the house and fixing food and all this kind of stuff. 
But he's the one with the carpenter shop. He's the one where people came in, and they looked at him and smirked and grinned and said, Oh, yeah, you did it, didn't you, Joe? And you knew he didn't do it. And there was shame. And it probably cost him some business. And I began to think about this. He showed grace and mercy and took on the shame for something he did not do. Kind of sounds like someone else, doesn't it? And so as they go on, I'm beginning to think that it probably was a relief when she, fully pregnant, gets on that donkey and the two of them head to Bethlehem for the census. They're getting out of town. They're getting out of the pointed fingers. They're getting out of the gossip. They're getting away from all the stuff that they had to deal with day after day after day. Let's get out of town for a few weeks. Let's go to the census. They didn't know it was fulfilling the prophecy of Scripture that in Bethlehem of Judea the Christ child would be born. The Messiah would come. So they get down there, and then they don't come back. They stay down there. Why go back? They were down there up to two years until the wise men finally arrived, and they met them in a house and presented their gifts and gave them the money to live on so they could make the exile trip now to Egypt because Herod's killing all the babies from two years old and younger because he questioned them when the star appeared. And they said, two years ago when they started on that journey. That's all Matthew chapter 2. And then the angel warns Joseph to get out of town because they're going to kill the babies, and they do. So now he's in exile in Egypt for a while. Two, three years, I don't know how long passes. Other children are born. And finally it's safe. Here it dies. Time to return. So now he goes back to Nazareth with his wife, Jesus, couple other children. I don't know how many. I'm assuming there's some others at this point in time, but there were six more total. And the gossip had probably finally died down. But I see in this choice of Joseph extending grace and mercy and taking on the shame the story of Jesus. Jesus and Joseph. Joseph was a type of Christ. He became the father figure in Jesus' life. Jesus, the innocent one, just like Joseph was, took on our shame. He took on the sin. He took on the gossip, the talk, the false accusations. He took it all on. He never said a word. He suffered in our place. He offered grace when we were guilty. He forgave and then said, come and be a part of the family. He accepted us just like Joseph accepted Jesus as his own. And he took us into his home and he loved us and he showed us nothing but grace. That's Jesus. And Jesus came not like us to be with us so that he could 
save us. And I'm so glad you're here this morning. Because you need to be reminded that this cute little story is really about this ugly story, which is really a beautiful story about how God extends grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love again and again and again. So along with the crucifixion and the resurrection, we also must in our theology, essential to salvation, also have the virgin birth. It's just as essential. He was not one of us, but he came to be with us in order to save us. Well, I should say, he's not exactly like us. He was one of us, but he's not exactly like us. Came to be with us in order to save us. He had to be better than us. <laughs> he had to show us a new way to live. And for hundreds of years, since Jesus came, millions of people have found in Jesus the answer to the problem of sin. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So Christmas is about Jesus, pure and simple. So the question for us, and more specifically for you, because the question is always answered personally, Is Jesus your Savior? Has he made the difference in your life? Have you experienced his love and grace and forgiveness? It's family altar time. As the praise team comes to sing an invitation, we have family altar here where we come and pray about all kind of things. Whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind. But if you want to respond to Jesus this morning and pray about a relationship with Christ, please feel free to do so. But if you want to come and pray about anything else, maybe your holiday is not real exciting, and I don't know, maybe some things are going on, maybe there's something else that you need to bring to the Lord in prayer. Let's stand together as, as they sing. Let's respond in a prayer time today. Thou didst meet thy throne and thy kingly crown when you came here to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for your holy nativity. Oh, 
good to talk to the Lord. Thank you for this time of prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can call upon you today. We come in the name of Jesus, the babe who became the Savior of the world. And today we recognize that and we worship you and we give you, Lord, first place in our lives, asking you, Lord, just to come into our hearts, make us like you. I pray, Lord, that there is some family members or friends that we want to lift up to you, that we would do that right now. And Lord, if there's some family concerns, some sicknesses, some health issues, maybe there's some traveling going on, maybe there's some financial issues, whatever it is, Lord, that we would just give it to you today. Touch, Lord, we pray. Meet the needs and the burdens and concerns of our heart. And then, oh God, as we worship you here in a few minutes, we just want to let you know that you're the reason why we're here. We're here to celebrate Jesus Christ. We're here to celebrate the fact that you, you came and took on the shame of our sin and the pain of our physical hurts that we placed on you as a human race in order, Lord, to bring us a way out a way where we can become overcomers, resist Satan and resist temptation and find a way and, and get around all these ways and avenues, Lord, and, and become wholly yours and surrender to you every day and live the life of, according to your will so that we can one day see you face to face. Thank you for this message of Christmas. Help us to carry it with us. Be in our homes on Tuesday as we experience the Christ of Christmas and they realize the gifts we receive are just representative of the gift that we have already received, which is Jesus. And Lord, allow him to permeate our homes with his presence. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek Him, celebrate Him, and serve Him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-aged kids and a children's church for elementary-aged kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z dot com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you and God bless.